no one should have to deal with ignorance, bigotry, hate, and racism in the urban world and in the outdoor world. Everybody has the right to be able to roam free in nature, bolder and further, develop beautiful memories, okay? That is your right, your citizen right for you to be able to have and, and, and do that and execute that and share that. There's no room and space for ignorance and all this kind of stuff, you know? And there's no place for that. And not just for BIPOC, but for LGBTQ community, uh, for Caucasian community, everyone. No one should not have to experience this. So Love is King was developed and created for the mere reason of the mission is to dismantle the ignorance, the bigotry and the hate and the fear uh, that's, that lies in the outdoors and to allow open and safe sanctuary spaces for people to have the access to roam free and enjoy nature on whatever level that they are on. That's the mere mission of Love is King. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Rome from Home podcast. This is the podcast where we interview some of the world's most interesting, knowledgeable, and iconic explorers, athletes, scientists, and experts from the world of outdoor adventure and how they live lives of purpose. Purpose meaning how they cultivate their relationship with their environment, the earth, how they cultivate the community with others, and how they ultimately find inspiration and fulfillment in themselves. This is season two of the Rome from Home podcast, and we have some really exciting news. Adventure Activists has come on for this season to support us for the next 12 episodes with a very clear vision and a lineup that will be designed to promote action and ignite change for the better. And in particular, this season, we are with the founder of Adventure Activist, our co-host, Dr. Terry O'Connor. And with his help, we're going to be looking carefully at this concept of effective altruism and who is really doing the work that is leading to better outcomes in some of these causes. So we really want to provide you, dear listener, with the tools and resources to get out, get up off the couch, stand up and take a stance on social and environmental issues that are hindering our world from becoming a more just and beautiful place. Terry, He's a medical doctor and an ER doc. Terry was a climber and an adventurer, and that inspired him to get into medicine. And his work as an ER doc has inspired his work to be and to become the founder of Venture Activists, which is focused on the STD goals of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And so with that, what's up, Terry? Hey, everybody. Terry here. Yeah, CJ. Uh, you know, I think we've joined forces here because we believe that those who are privileged to expand their horizons as travelers and explorers really do bear intimate witness to the threats to our world and are really uniquely positioned and motivated to serve in return. So we really want this season to be an educational space uh, for our listeners, which presents the foundational knowledge and tools for making positive change. And we want to share our network of subject matter experts in really diverse areas of expertise, including health, education, philanthropy, peace, justice, conservation, climate, and more. Oh, we're excited to have you, Terry, and to, to team up with Adventure Activists and you in particular. We were brought together by our mutual friend and board member at Adventure Activists, Rebecca Rush. 
it's just amazing opportunity for us to really dive into some of this. And you and I are learning about this as we go. You're teaching me, some of our guests are teaching us collectively. Uh, and in speaking of our other co-host, Corey Richards, who was my co-host throughout the entire first season, the first 24 episodes, he will also be joining us for a lot of these episodes. He's sort of in and out, depending on if he's in the Himalaya, if he's training, he has a busy life as a photographer, working photographer and athlete. And he brings an awesome perspective as someone who's also trying to figure this stuff out. I mean, you feel that in some of the episodes, Terry, you've noted that Corey's curiosity on this, I think is going to be really helpful for the audience. Oh, absolutely. He's had some great reflections uh, so far, but I really do enjoy learning from our guests and their process and figuring out how they want to best serve and give back uh, to the world. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious uh, who we got up next. Today, our guest is Chad Brown. Chad is a decorated U.S. Navy veteran who served in Desert Storm and Operation Restore Hope in Somalia. And after returning from his service, he became an accomplished portrait photographer, creative director, adventurer, and conservationist. Suffering from PTSD, he was able to find healing in nature. And now through his organization, Soul River Inc., which we're going to talk about, he helps bring that same healing to other veterans and inner city youth. He's joining us today to talk about the Soul River and his latest initiative, Love is King, that helps foster diversity and safety in the outdoors. We're also incredibly grateful and excited to have our good friend, Conrad Anker, as a co-host today. Uh, he doesn't really need an introduction to this, this community, but in case you don't know, he's a very accomplished climber and mountaineer. He led the North Face team as captain for a couple decades, and uh, he's been on the podcast before and is a good friend and someone who has been uh, part of the Rome journey from the beginning. So we're incredibly happy to have Conrad on. And also, today's episode is going to be co-hosted. We're mixing it up a little bit from Terry and myself and, and Corey, who's actually in the Himalaya now, uh, with Rome COO Andy Patrick who's also a photographer, sculptor, sculptor, sorry, curator, founder, storyteller, and has been uh, by my side along the way here with, with Rome uh, throughout the last couple of years and been incredibly instrumental in everything that we're doing. So Andy and Conrad are going to be holding it down for us today. And uh, Terry and I are going to be taking a backseat a little bit, uh, but we're very excited to have all of you together. And Terry, uh, I'll, I'll let you transition to our two hosts today as we kick off this episode. Yeah. Hey, uh, Andy, Conrad, thanks for joining so much. And and thinking about our guests coming forward, Conrad, this just makes me think about your recent work and efforts in diving into inclusion for uh, people of color in the outdoor space with your work with the recent film Black Ice and with Memphis Rocks and your colleagues there. Um, what are you curious about getting into uh, on this episode with Chad? We all see the benefit of getting outdoors. Right? That's why we're here. That's why we center our life on it. We work so we can have recreation time that rejuvenates us. And for the majority of us, that's outdoors. But that same access to the outdoors, the gate has not been open for people of color. And there's intimidation, there's rules, there's systemic racism. A lot of this stuff kind of layers up onto it. And as we became aware in our community, we realize that as tree-hugging outdoors people, we have the best of intentions, we believe in civil rights, we, we're doing the right thing, but the system isn't caught up to where we are as people. So 
some of us that are within that, we need to get this flywheel in motion, get the invitation out there and welcome more people to the outdoors. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And and Andy, you guys, you guys know each other. You've met Chad before. Um, what, what are you curious about getting in with him today? I'm excited to, to have him share his evolution in his life and, and how he's come upon different inflection points and how he has handled those, made decisions to follow a, a path of service um, and, and one of compassion. He's an incredible human and really someone that lets his heart, I think, guide him in those decisions. And so I'm excited to talk to him about, about that path. And, and also, you know, I, I would say, too, that it's such an honor to have Conrad, because I, I think, Conrad, the, the mentoring that you have done um, and continue to do is such an important part of, of this community. And I think part of what Chad is doing is, is looking to build a network of more and more people uh, like yourself, Conrad, that, that can really help lead the charge to, to a new understanding a new way of being in, in the outdoors. And so I'm uh, I'm very excited to be doing this with you, Conrad. Thank you. Well, cool. Well, it seems like we're all excited to get in this conversation. So without further ado, let's bring in Chad. Today is a very big day really for me because I have the honor as the host of today's Rome at Home podcast to be able to have a conversation and be joined and hold space with two incredible people um, that have done so many amazing things in their careers. And certainly uh, Conrad Anchor is no stranger to the Rome community or to the climbing community, to the adventure community. Conrad, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here co-hosting with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I was thinking, Chad, you know, you and I spoke, I don't know, a couple of weeks back, and I was mentioning that, that my, my father was a Marine. He was at the movies with his buddies. They were in high school. And they, they saw the newsreels of what was happening during World War II. And they, they literally left the theater, went down and enrolled or enlisted rather in the various services. And as dad told me, the Marines line was the shortest line. And so he got in that line and became, uh, became a Marine and spent three and a half years in the South Pacific, came back a uh, decorated hero in many ways, you know, four Purple Hearts and Silver Star and Bronze Medal and what have you. And his integrity, his, his perseverance to be able to survive that, let alone a lot of other things in life, and his, his incredible love for family, for friends, for country were important lessons to me. You know, those lessons run, run very deep. And I, I, I just, I had that resonance with you when we were chatting, you know, I could tell that you hold that, that warrior ethos that he had, that he really taught me about. And, and you so embody that it is, it's really a, an honor to have you with us today. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for your service. And thank you for everything that you're doing in continued service of people all over. Appreciate it. Thank, no, thank you. Uh, I, I don't know if I can live up to all of that, but you just said <laughs> those are big jeans to fit in, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I'm, I'm uh, just really, you know, I think I just try to keep things really simple within my life and try to do right as long as I'm on this earth. 
And to do right is to do right by others, you know, the community, the love, put love first and make sure that when I leave any situation or any conversation, argument, whatever the case is, I'm leaving it at the utmost uh, respect of the representation of me and how I came into this world and the love that was shared to me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You know, to that point, I'm, I'm really curious if you can talk to us a little bit about how you came to understand the, the idea of compassion and, and service and love. I mean, a, a, maybe as a kid or maybe later in your life, what's the story around that? Well, yeah, I, I think it was a couple different things that I have been exposed to and, <laughs> and witnessed and uh, been part of. And some of it is my upbringing and how my mother and my father has, has taught me and my dad actually would, would say to me, is like when I was a kid, you know, out in the schoolyard or whatever, and if someone hits me, whatever, he always says, so you should go back up and, you know, and try to hug him. And uh, <laughs> that's, that was his approach and everything, how to solve a problem. You know, if we, if me and the boys were like in a little tangle fight and everything, we end, he's like, shake his hand and give him a hug and, and everything like that, you know. And so those little things, I guess, added and added on top of what how my mom, you know, taught me, you know, and she, you know, always practiced love. She always taught from uh, the heart of love. My grandma used to say to me when I had my relationships, when I started dating, you know, and have little arguments and stuff like that. And, and she always says, you know, it doesn't matter how mad you get with the person, but regardless, love will always step in. Love yeah. always step in to help move that forward. And and so, yeah, it, I think it was just a lot of buildup from different lessons from my grandmother, my father, my mom, uh, my mom and my dad. They're big fans of uh, Martin Luther King. They were part of that life, you know, when he was living, et cetera. And so there was a lot of his uh, readings. My mom would read to me a lot, you know, of some of the uh, speeches that he would write, et cetera. And, and we would have a lot of dialogues as I'm growing up. You know, I think the, one of the biggest challenges challenges that I have not yet faced and I don't want to face it. My father, my mom used to talk to him about the strength, this power of love and this power where a good example is when you're facing the hate in the in the in the hate of ignorance and racism and how aggression can come at you on many different ways. And sometimes it could be so disrespectful to who you are as a human being to a point where, say like a good example of someone, the most degrading thing is someone can spit in your face, right? The most thing what everybody's gonna do is retaliate from that. Yeah. But love steps into where you hold your bearing and you hold space for that person, even though that you have spit dripping off your face. Yeah. You now that's a whole nother level of discipline of love that I, you know, hope to one day be able to, I mean, continue to practice, but we all need to be practicing. That's that higher level of being able to not just look after the people that, that supports you, that's around you, but this is also looking after the enemy and knowing and showing how to love the enemy. Uh, you know, and there's, there's that, there, and that's a different level of discipline. So, yeah, you know, so that's just a lot of teachings. And in the military, of course, that's a whole nother level, you know, but you know, I think I just kind of, you know, I'm like a, a probably like a, a grandma's quilt, you know, I'm, I'm patched with different <laughs> types of, uh, teachings all over me, you know, and, yeah. uh, but in this time in my phase in my life, you know, with the platform I built and everything, it, this gives me the opportunity to put that into action. Period. Yeah. Beautiful. I love when you talk about your grandmother <laughs> because, you know, I, I think I, I feel so fortunate in, in a similar way, you know, where you have that that love of family and that base. And of course, not everyone has that. And right. 
Right. And so I'm just incredibly grateful to have had that. And it's wonderful to, to hear that from you. And I'm curious too, like, how were you introduced to the outdoors or, or were you as a, as a young kid? Yeah. My introduction comes from my mother and my father. I come from a family of hunters and farmers. My father was a hunter. My grandfather was a hunter and a farmer. My mom, her role into my upbringing as far as the outdoors, uh, she was almost kind of like a hippie person. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and so she was uh, filled with the air, filled with poetry and art. And <laughs> and, and so she she approached in her upbringings and, and my, you know, that raised me in that space of writing and art and music and storytelling. And it was all about going in into tree. We, we had this huge big tree out in the front yard of my grandma's house on the land. And that big tree was the center uh, centerpiece for community and gathering. Every Sunday, my grandma and my father, and my mom will uh, make these awesome Sunday, you know, soul food meals, you know, and bring all the food out under this, this big, huge oak tree. And that's really yeah. what it was, a huge, big, massive oak tree. Yeah. And we'll put the food around and everybody will come around and we'll sit down and gather. And all day we'll sit there and we'll have food and talk, et cetera, and take off your shoes, walk through the grass, et cetera, you know. And so, but yeah, my father, you know, he used to take me on my hunts and I started hunting around age, uh, I was probably like around eight, eight, nine years old. And, you know, I, I used to go out to the pasture, out in the woods. We have, uh, today we still own the land. We have like around 150 acres of land down in Texas. And there's a lot of wild turkey on our land and also deer. And I would go out and hunt with my grandpa and my father. But no, I've been, that's, that was my outdoor experience. You know, my father was a camper. Uh, he was also a cave explorer. So he took me under his, me and my brother under his wing, and we would do, go and explore caves uh, down in Texas. I think uh, not to deviate, but I do have a really unique story to share because my father was actually, I was not hunting with him and he was out on the land hunting. And it was him and his, him and his father. And it came across um, a mother deer. The mother was dead and there was a baby fawn right by the deer curled up. And my father picked up the fawn and brought the fawn home. And I ended up raising that fawn to a full-blown deer. I was the only kid around the block that would walk a deer around the block. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, but yeah, it was, it was, it was. That was my upbringing. You know, I, I, I'm yeah. blessed to be able to, and blessed and for to have that kind of upbringing, that experience. I know, especially of being African American, there's a lot of uh, African Americans that doesn't have those kind of opportunities of that kind of upbringing, and so I'm really blessed, and I hold that really, really dear to me. Which is I'm all about trying to expose more people, especially BIPOC, into the outdoors. But yes. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm curious with your deer, did you set the deer free at some point or? <laughs> you know, uh, when I look back, uh, it would have been, it was probably not being a good thing to take a deer in, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but at that time we didn't know. And so uh, yeah. I raised the deer, you know, I did raise that deer to a full blown deer and wow. that deer was part of the family and we'll walk around the house, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and would lay in, uh, lay in the living room and would jump in the bed. The deer would sleep, had his, the deer would sleep with me in my own bed, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but when he got to a point where the deer got really, really big, of course, knocking stuff over in the house, it's kind of crazy. Uh, we, <laughs> we got to the point where we had to release the deer. 
and that was probably the most saddest uh, uh, moments of my life because uh, my dad, you know, we loaded the deer up in the truck and we took him out in the pasture and uh, the land and we uh, released the deer, you know, and so we didn't do justice for that deer, of course, really, because that deer looked at humans as friends, of course, family, you yeah. know. And so yeah. I'm sure that the deer, you know, didn't last and, and everything like that. But it's lessons learned. Leave wildlife as is, <laughs> you know, and, you know, appreciate from a distance, take photos, et cetera, and leave it as is, period. You yeah. Know? yeah. 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 Gosh, it's it's an incredible life. And, and that, I think, sheds a lot of a lot of light on on, you know, you and your heart. And I'm curious as we've been having these these discussions with folks this season around their lives and these different inflection points, a baby deer is, a, is an important inflection point, I think, in one's yeah. life as an example. Yeah. You know, it, it teaches you a whole nother level of understanding of, you know, communication with an animal and things of that nature, right, in nature. Exactly. And so I'm curious now if maybe you could take us to that next inflection point in your life, which I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm really curious about Pratt and going to school. You you got your uh, master's, I think, in communication design. Yes. And then also just based on on this wonderful upbringing of of the the hippie uh, grandmother or mother, I forget which, around the oak tree. I mean, I just envision that. And then that next decision that takes you, I think, from Pratt to the military. Is that how that transitioned? Or uh, th that was the the military first, and it was Pratt. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and what what was what was it about the military that intrigued you to to go in that direction? You know, to be transparent, like which I'm always are. <laughs> um, I was not really for the military, honestly. Um, I was caught up on wanting to be an artist, a designer, you know, and creative, and that that was that was the influence that my mom put in me, and I really really wanted to go to school to be a professional artist, designer, uh, at the time, an illustrator. And so I ended up going to regular college down in Texas and doing well. And I got to a point where um, I needed some extra money for, for college. And, and I didn't really want to uh, knock on the door to my mom and, and try to get her or my dad. They just wasn't in that position financially to really support me yeah. right now. That was my reality. You know, the military comes into space because my father served. He's Navy. He used to have a lot of talks with me about the military. You know, didn't share that much worth what he experienced, but he's he's never talked down about the military. He's always talked, you know, how it can help you. It can act as a uh, launch pad for yourself to, to in order to do what you need to do in life. I never really got to a place where I said I really, really wanted to join up until the time when I realized that I needed money. And I remember that my dad used to talk to me about the GI Bill and how he used the GI Bill uh, to go to college yeah. and everything like that. So it did get to a place. And so I made a decision. And I guess my subconscious is what pushed me into joining the military. And I ended up joining in the Navy, going to the Navy. I went into the Navy with the purpose to, because, you know, I knew I needed to serve, but I, I wanted to go after that GI Bill. I wanted to finish school. That's where I wanted to do. I, I wanted to finish school. So I said to myself that I'm going to go in and I'm going to do my time, get the GI Bill, and then go right back to school and finish off uh, what my mission was or what I set out in life, what I wanted to do. 
And I did that. It took a little while longer. And I, you know, that that's what led me from graduates, I mean, undergraduate to graduate school. But that process of joining the military and get, you know, don't get me wrong. I love my brothers and my sisters, you know, and I, there's a big patriot piece inside of me that I believe in our country. But to go through the process and from what I had to experience, because I came out of a cold war into a hot, active war of things happening. And that put me in the in theater, um, experiencing some real stuff. And those are things that I wouldn't wish on anyone to uh, experience. That's just how life works. You know, sometimes it's, it's, you can write it out how you want to have your short-term, your long-term goals. But then there's this other piece, this big old question mark that life has something else for you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and you just kind of have to kind of go with that. And so I, you know, had to experience some stuff, you know, and I, uh, the longest I stayed in the States was uh, within my uh, naval uh, enlistment was four months out of my four years. And the rest of the time was in and out of third world countries in two wars, uh, you know, and I uh, been in 14 different countries and most of it was really uh, third world countries actually, you know, but I was in uh, the second end of uh, part of uh, Desert Storm and also Operation Store Hope uh, Somalia. Um, and then I was um, put down in um, uh, Cuba with the crisis that was happening there. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. And then that also took me to the bottom of the world down in Antarctica. It was uh, doing a lot of security work uh, along with NASA and also tied into Russia. So it, it was it was kind of crazy. I, I got a, a, a whirlwind of a not just a travel, but a different some deep, deep layers of experiences you now and some of those experiences are horrific and there was some lost in those experiences and um you know and i, I learned a lot I, I i think i tell people that i that was a place where i the military was really where i actually grew up and got into the world to to experience you know i think i, I learned a lot I, I wouldn't turn it back though i wouldn't turn it back at all again as my father shared with me it's it's, it's a strong stepping stone launching pad to do what you need to do and that's how I use it. And that's how I see it. The loss, the fear, the horror and everything along with it. I take it all because that's all a learning piece that has built me of who I am today, basically. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I, I'm curious and actually, Conrad, maybe you can talk to this a little bit, uh, even in terms of your own experience, Conrad, which is like, so Chad, then then comes fly fishing in some way. <laughs> And I'm curious, Conrad, how how did you get into rock climbing, to climbing at, at all? And I'm, I'm just curious how that also, you know, Chad, with you, how you got into fly fishing. And because it seems like for both of you, that's that is a happy place, an important place. <laughs> it is. A happy yeah. Place. So um, and thanks for having me here. And thanks, Andy and Chad, for uh, this opportunity. And uh, similar to your background, Chad, there um parents that um, cared about the civil rights, but also had a connection to the land. And we went out every two weeks in the summer with mules and went mule packing in the high country of the Sierras. So uh, my family's from Central California and I was born in San Francisco. And so that was kind of what I did. And we didn't have a boat. We didn't go on beach vacations. We finally convinced our parents they needed to take us to Disneyland because it was a thing that families did. We went there. We're like, (laughs) they've got a fake mountain here <laughs> and it's just as much fun to, to go swimming in a lake as it is to ride it to, you know, the, the toboggan ride or whatever it was and, and, and fewer people. So that was, um, but I was fortunate at about age 14 to realize that 
being outdoors was my calling in life and not in a vocational standpoint, but as a happy place. And that whatever I would do from that point on, uh, whether it was framing houses or uh, roofing houses or, or working whatever job I could, the end goal was to get outdoors and spend more time there. And Chad, similarly, is that how you kind of came into into fly fishing and how did that develop? Well, fly fishing came into, um, I wouldn't say much similar, but it's definitely a contrast. But fly fishing came into my life off of circumstances that uh, be transparent again. Uh, I was having to face uh, some demons that I did not face while I was coming out of the military. I didn't deal with a lot of this stuff, just like a lot of veterans out there uh, that are fighting. I kind of had to go through a lot of darkness in order to see that light. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky. I was very lucky. And maybe there's some angels there that, that has guided me. But there's a lot of veterans, brothers and sisters out there that's not able to see that light. You know, there's a lot of them that ends up taking their lives. Uh, yep. We lose them every day, you know. And so and I was part of that demographic of, or uh, part of that immigrant where I was attempting to take my life. I, I tried to take my life. You know, I... Um, I lost a lot. I lost everything. I became homeless on the streets right here in Portland. You know, it's kind of crazy because you fight for your country and you got your education and all this kind of stuff. But this is where life is at right now. This is where I'm at right now, right? This is what I have to deal with. When I'm hungry, I I, I didn't have no money. I would go to a dumpster. I would dumpster dive behind McDonald's. I would gorge and, and try to eat whatever I can eat. That's where I was at in my life. Yeah. You know? So there were some people that took me underneath their wing and guided me to church, to a church. And there was this older woman, uh, we'll never forget her name. Her name was Poppy. She was like a mother. She would pray with me and she would, uh, just be there as a friend constantly. And sometimes she'll come by and I would live in my truck and she would drop some money on a little envelope and put it right there in my, in my window, something like that. They helped me out and everything like that. But over the course of time, um, I developed a relationship with her, her husband. Um, she got invited to some churches there and she became the bridge that connected me into the VA. She helped me get into the VA because that's where I needed help. I didn't know what I was fighting with. Uh, the VA put me through the process. I'm up there with all the other veterans. And uh, here I am now getting issued a brown bag with the probably like six, seven different types of pills that that's gonna, that was supposed to help me. Other than, let alone, I really believe that was the, the reason why I almost tempted to take my, take my life because I was so caught up on taking so many pills that the VA gave me and yeah. my mind was all over the place. I was like a walking zombie. So. Yeah. So that was, I started going down that route to try to, you know, better myself. And then of course, this, the suicidal attempt where I drew my weapon and I tried to take my life on the water. And, you know, I was so drugged up that I couldn't even hold the gun right, freaking right. And I kind of blacked out. Cops found me, found out I was a VA, took me back to the hospital, spent seven days in the psych ward, you know, to prove to the docs that I wasn't going to hurt myself. And, you know, I convinced the docs, they let me out. And then this lady came into my, another lady came into my life. Uh, she was a friend and she happened to be an angler. And so she took me to the river and she says, I used to come to the river and this is where I used to deal with uh, my divorce. And I said, really, you know, and here I am strung out heavy on medication right on the river. Uh, I, I'm glassy eyed. I can't even, I can barely like see my vision and all this kind of, it was just crazy because I was just, I was, 
I was doped up of heavy medications, you know, yeah. uh, you know, and I said, well, how do you get into that? So right behind me, there was a fishing store right behind me. We walked over there. She put a card down and uh, helped me get a, a, a fishing rod, which was a fly rod. I got attracted to the colorful lines uh, of that fly, the <laughs> fly lines, because at, at the time, I, I ain't gonna lie, because I guess that's when you're doped up. You, they look like candy, actually, you know? <laughs> you know, and so and so I looked, I said, I like that lime green. I like that pink and everything. And I didn't know I was just, you know, putting it together. So I didn't know anything. And so got out there. She helped me put everything together to get out on the water. And she helped me tie my first knot, you know, fisherman's knot. I learned, I still tie that knot today, you know, yeah. and uh, I didn't know anything about casting. She didn't really know that much about, you know, <laughs> either, you know and everything, you know, and so, so we ended up teaching each other though. So I started waving in the air, waving in the air and casting a line and flopping, flopping. And I ended up flopping out there and I hooked in on a little small jack salmon. I was hooting hot. <laughs> freaking place that's what woke me up i was hooting and hollering the whole entire park granted i was not in the outdoor deep in the outdoors i was at a city park i was in an <laughs> urban city park you know you know and then uh you know and so but when i hooked in it awakened me you know i will never forget that day it awakened me and it my vision i remember my vision became from blurred to clear and what i started to see was the green leaves that was around me, the trees. I started to feel the air that was brushing up against my cheek. And I was just kind of like becoming woke at that moment. And it was feeling good. I felt like I felt alive. And so I went back to the VA and I told the docs, I was like, this is what makes me happy. This is what makes me feel good, et cetera. And after my long conversations with them, they literally wrote me a prescription. They And that prescription was, you continue to fish more and the more you fish more and continue to be on that river, we will slowly wing you off your medications. And that was my deal with the VA. And that's what I ended up doing. And uh, the more I fished, the more they winged me off, the more I was completely winged off the medications. I became full on trout bum all the way, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, I was, yeah, I was a trout bum. I mean, I was literally, uh, like, you know, I didn't know much. I didn't have much, whatever, but I had a fly rod and everything. And I would go to fly shops and I would sit down and listen to some of these old timers talk about all the lies that they have been done and the biggest fish they catch, you know, and that's what they do with fish, you know, they tell all the lies, you know, how, how big was it? Oh, it was this big, you know, <laughs> ask them in and they say, how big was it? And it's, oh, it was this big, but you just told me it was this big, you know, uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, and so, but I spent a lot of hours in a lot of fly shops around here in Portland and I would uh, go by Saturdays and Sundays and sit at the table. A lot of these flies, got, got, they got tables, old timers up in there and they got vices and stuff, you know, so I'll learn how to tie flies. Uh, I would be part of those conversations. Sometimes they wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> Sometimes they would, you know, and I would just sit there and just tie, you know, and learn and listen, uh, you know, and I became a roadie, you know, I became like a roadie for guys and I would carry bags for their clients onto the uh, drift boats, et cetera. And in that exchange, that guy will teach me how he teach me the sticks of the boat, basically, you know, how to operate the drift boat, move down the water, how to read the water, how to navigate the water, uh, you know, and from that would be etymology, you know, one-on-one, learning how to identify the insects, et cetera, you know? And so I was in this, this space of just relearning all over again, 
you know, I'm again, I'm still living out of my rig and everything about what Chad done in the past is forgotten. This is where I'm at. This is what I need to focus on, which is me and getting my head straight. And all right now is I'll just want to fish and, and enjoy nature. And that's what nature did for me. It gave me the medicine. That's where fly fishing came into uh, the fold in my life and why it's still strong with me today. Beautiful. We have a Rome membership call each week where members can call in and chat with the staff and some of the founding members, et cetera. And a lot of the questions that, that have come up are um, how to get somewhere that they want to go. And, and oftentimes they don't know where to go. I, I hear you, know, you saying, and I, I've heard so many people say this in one way or another, but it's somehow you were able to recognize that moment, you know, where where it was fly fishing, you know, where, like you said, you felt the the breeze on your on your face for the first time in a long time, and and that somehow you followed that, you know, you followed that that resonance in your heart, I guess, right? Yeah. And and just went in that direction and continued down it. Yeah. Cool. You know, I, I think with, like which how you're describing what you're saying, it it, it reminds me of an old saying my mom used to say to me all the time until today. And that is, and it's actually uh, coming from Martin Luther King, um, is uh, keep your eyes on the prize. And that's, that's, that's the one, keep your eyes on the prize. I would say that to myself all the time, even through the most crazy hostile situations I've been in in war, through the whole process is that I'm gonna keep my eyes on the prize. You know, I'm gonna keep my eyes on the prize, no matter what the situation is, no matter where I'm at, no matter if I if I don't have nothing in my pocket and all I can do is open my hand and beg for some money, whatever the case is, I'm gonna keep my eyes on the prize. That's gonna be my drive right there. You know, there's there's always light in every dark situation. It just it what matters the most is how we persevere, is how we uh, rise up and, and and how we show up in any situation, you know, showing up for me when I'm trying to get a job and living out of my rig and stuff, you know, I know for a fact that the fundamentals for me showing up and doing and trying to get a job is that I need to be clean. I need to wear, I need to look right, et cetera. So that's what I did. I, again, keeping my eyes on the prize, I got to clean myself up, even though regardless that I don't have a place to lay my head. But the fact is that I need to represent myself and I need to show up. And I need to represent and, and come forth and be the best that I can be in that situation for me to be able to rise up out of that situation. It's a conglomerate of my my upbringing, conglomerate of the military, that survival. But it's also the most important thing is what I always say. My mom always just say, keep your eyes on the prize. Don't let anything take you to the left or to the right. Focus and do what you need to do. It may take you an hour, it may take you a year, <laughs> you know, your journey, it all depends on how strong you are and how you're willing to persevere to get from point A to point B. And so depending on your level and where you at depends on how the length of your journey is going to be, you know, to keep your eyes on the prize. But yeah. So kind of on a similar way that I found climbing and that the prize there was the stepping into this vertical world with gravity. And it's been helped me keep my eye on the prize and the, the process is a lifelong, but you and yep. I both are drawn to this. Like we have found something that has been transformational in our life. And now where we are is how can we flywheel that energy that our particular passions has given us 
to a greater community and in the process create good. And so kind yeah. of in that, along those lines, how does Soul River, which I know a very little bit about and I want to learn more and for the viewers that are listening in here, uh, tell us about it. What, what you're speaking to reminds me, you know, we talk about leadership, you know, and I think what helps us grow into leaders is, 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 is also where we came from, you know, and what we've been through, right, in that journey. Uh, and so my journey, somehow I've, I've been able to like really package that up and project that into the good of giving back and opening that up for youth, uh, especially disadvantaged youth and also veterans that are disconnected, just like me and the process that I was going through. And I can identify with a lot of those vets or what they're fighting and everything, you know? And so when I'm looking at all of this and I'm looking at the most simplest thing that actually uh, helped me show up, that actually gave me that, you know, that extra kick to push through was that simple long nine, nine and a half foot long stick a fly rod, right? You know, you know? And, and so I was like, so you know what, I, what I want to do, I want to bring people to the river. I want to bring our youth, our vets back to the river. And I want to put a rod in your hand and I want to force it because finding, finding Soul River, like my nonprofit, it is built off of fly fishing, but Soul River is found on how you come to the river and what speaks to you most, period. But the fly rod becomes a, a conductor of how we can conduct our conversations in the healing process in nature and learn from one another. That's kind of been my, my march. And I mean, when I first started these outings, I didn't go to the river. I took my fly rod to the basketball court and I put that, again, that candy colorful line that, that fly <laughs> lines have, right? I put that line on there and I went out to the basketball court and I stood in the middle of that basketball court and I took my casting now my casting is a lot better, guys, you know, <laughs> so I took my casting and I started doing these dry casting in the air, you know, and just going long, 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 you know, casting. And and the kids was like, they were like, man, what the hell are you doing? You know, <laughs> you, know you know, but whatever I was doing, it was looking cool to them because they were attracted. And it was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Can I do that? Sure, you can do that. Absolutely. And again, Putting the line, putting that fly rod in the young kid's hand, I'm getting right behind them. I'm showing them the casting and everything. It's it's not really about at this time, it's like fly fishing, but it's not what I'm doing is I'm building a new community. I'm building uh, awareness, right? And taking what has been taught to me and mentors, et cetera, and share with me. I'm just giving it a, a new breath of fresh air of how others can be able to see this you know, and connect with this basically, uh, you know, and packing up. And so now, you know, the, the, the organization Soul River, you know, we, we grow young people, you know, young people into, you know, outdoor leaders. That's our goal as a veteran. Veterans exchange is, is purpose. Our purpose is different, you know, uh, whatever we get, whatever you want to call that, that's their diary basically, but it gives us purpose. And we're, and we're thankful for that. All of vets are thankful for that, you know, you know, we do what we call deployments, which is a term from the military, but we return that basically the, the deployments means that we identify places throughout the United States uh, that are at threat. And when we find those spaces that are at threat, our wildlife, environmental issues, we pair up with conservation groups. And when those conservation come to the fold as partners, we start to develop a curriculum, a field curriculum that's built off of the threat of what's happening in these areas 
And that, that field manual becomes a tool for veterans and for youth. And we both learn how to engage about the issue and learn how to solve our solve problems. Uh, we treat it like a hypothesis of each one. And, and it's a really amazing process that we go through. The veteran, they engage, they act as mentors and guides, uh, like assistant teachers, et cetera, in the wild. The youth are tasked to do their research. They not just do their research, but they're tasked to develop their own class. And they come out into the field, into wild spaces, and they teach us the class. Us veterans steps back and we become the pupil. We become the student. And the youth becomes the teacher now. And they're teaching us. And so we're doing this kind of like a cross exchange of, of teaching. And, and we're growing leaders at the same time. We're deepening the knowledge of environmental issues. And a lot of these youth then end up going out, they end up advocating. They end up advocating for our wildlife, public lands, fresh water, uh, or even our indigenous brothers and sisters out there as well, because they also have an opportunity to get connected to uh, indigenous uh, cultures while on the land, et cetera. You know? And so that's really in a nutshell of what Soul River is all about. And uh, today, fly fishing is, um, is the anchor of the organization, but we don't push it. We use fly fishing as a way to weave in people, to weave in people, develop a community and to develop leaders. Because when you look at the art of fly fishing, it breaks down on so many different levels. It breaks down from science, history, you know, biology. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's phenomenal, right? Um, yeah. Storytelling, poetry, you know, you can learn a whole lot about love, life and death just by watching the insects on the water. And as they go through their life cycle, right? You know, right. there and being able to pay attention, you know. So we extract all of that and bring that into the culture of Soul River Inc. And we embody that. But every youth do find their own Soul River. And what they find on Soul River, they they hone in on that and uh and they move forward, you know, life. But yeah, it's that's uh that's Soul River. That's uh wonderful. And I've worked with veterans over time here in Highlight Canyon in Montana, and we have a week-long get-together. Uh, first, second week in March where we camp out and working with many of those that have served and I didn't serve. I helped train, but was on a periphery with that. But getting the community together and getting um, sort of being in a cabin, cooking for each other. And then the adversary was the temperature outside, the snowfall, gravity, and that mm-hmm. opportunity to um, to build something. I think it really mirrors what Soul River, that if you have a tools to build community and how you do that. It doesn't matter if it's bowling or fly fishing or mountain climbing or bicycle racing, whatever, that you find something that you're passionate about. And within that framework, you develop community. When you have community and you're supporting other people, and yeah. that is um, in the, the in my heart of hearts, where we need to be, that we need to promote understanding between people. And when you yes. have community and you depend yeah. on someone else, then that person isn't anonymous anymore. You you care for them, and absolutely, absolutely, we're all work towards that, and we're gonna we're gonna bring about positive change. And I get up in the morning, and I believe in it, and I'm I'm an optimist. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And everything you're speaking to is like even beyond Soul River, but that community, that that under uh, layer that has to be put in place is love, and having that having love injected into our passion uh which comes out you know very easily you know and everything but it but it becomes contagious you know and and that contagious opens up many many 
many bright eyes and bright minds that wants to be part of that. And, and, and that's where, you know, we basically, we foster that. We foster that, we incubate that community. We in, insert love into everything that we do. I think the love is the main ingredient on everything that we yeah. do. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's funny, Conrad, I, I, I wanted to add one additional thing to your list of, you were saying whether it's climbing or fly fishing or, and I, I wanted to add one thing, or an oak tree, a big oak tree. <laughs> Going back to your story of, of growing up, you know, I mean, incredible love that you talked about of coming around and sharing food and stories and music around that oak tree. I, I love it. So yeah, finding whatever that, that soul river may be. Um, that that really connects, like you said, uh, the the love from one to another. Um, speaking of love, what what is this next organization that you started? Then Love is King. How how does that differ? And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> yeah, I just I give a little background of how of why it started. Um, before I go into the mission, Love is King really started from. The experiences that I've had of being African American in the outdoors. From my background, I know how to navigate the backcountry. I'm always in the backcountry, and a lot of times I'm by myself. But I've also had faced experiences that has been really, really dicey. And some, some one experience actually has been, was was life threatening, actually. But my experiences are experiences that folds over a thousand more experiences of other uh, BIPOCs out there. Just to be, you know, clear, because it's just not just me in the space. Um, you know, I uh, some of my experiences has when I has came out where my um, uh, brake lines has been dismantled, uh, completely ripped out of my rig, and uh, you know, and then I had experience. I was on the river fishing, and white male step out is across the river and yells at me, tells me to get off his river, and I made a choice not to, and so he drew his weapon and. Uh, scared me with the warning shot. And then I played off and continued to, you know, fish as I'm moving away, et cetera. And then he pointed his weapon at me and, and shot at me and he, he, he missed, uh, you know, of course, thank God. Um, so <clears throat> I had to go through some serious trauma uh, type stuff that has happened. You know, when that happened to me, that opened up a lot of my PTSD stuff because I fight with that every day. And so that really took me down a heavy, heavy spiral a uh, dark path and really angry path. And so I used to hear the stories of my father and my mom would say to me a lot, you know, of what they experienced in the outdoors. They would share a lot of stories. And to this day, when my dad says, son, well, where, where are you going this weekend? I said, well, I'm going to go. I saw this little spot on the river. I'm going to go check it out. He says, you know, and they'll say, well, just just be careful. Make sure you you're around public. Try, try not to sleep off the, you know, in the woods somewhere like you always do. Try to sleep at a campground where there's people there. You know, his, he's still trying to protect me. He's still trying to, trying to, you know, yeah, he's basically trying to protect me. Um, I hear a lot of stories when I'm in amongst BIPOC of the fear that they have. A lot of it is generational fear. And a lot of it is present fear today that deals with the ignorance, the hate, bigotry and racism that is in our society. And that's also in the outdoors because those same people who are anglers, hunters, hikers, et cetera, um, that are raising uh, the chaos in our urban world, they are also connected to the outdoor world. And, and so, and there's a fear. 
I got to a point where I felt like with the connections that I've been able to develop, the partners, the platform with Soul River, et cetera, I, it was a little bit scary for myself to step out, you know, but I guess that's an entrepreneur as a risk taker, you know, that's what you do and everything like that, you know, but, you know, but I believe in it. And so I was scared to even put this out of Love is King, but, uh, but I believe in it and, and, and how I live my life is what I believe in. I'm going to stand on this platform, regardless if there's someone there supporting me or not, I'm going to stand on this platform. This is what I believe in. And my belief was, is that no one should not have to deal with ignorance, bigotry, hate, and racism in the urban world and in the outdoor world. Everybody has the right to be able to roam free in nature, bolder and further, develop beautiful memories, okay? That is your right, your citizen right for you to be able to have and, and, and do that and execute that and share that. There's no room and space for ignorance and all this kind of stuff, you know, and there's no place for that. And not just for BIPOC, but for LGBTQ community, uh, for Caucasian community, everyone. No, no one should not have to experience this. So Love is King was developed and created for the mere reason of the mission is to dismantle the ignorance, the bigotry, and the hate, and the fear uh, that's, that lies in the outdoors and to allow open in safe sanctuary spaces for people to have the access to roam free and enjoy nature on whatever level that they are on or down to their family, wives, et cetera. That's the mere mission of Love is King. And Love is King is, 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 uh, is inspired. It is inspired from um, you know, Martin Luther King's writings. Uh, it's almost kind of like Love is King is picking up some of his work and continuing to move forward and to bring people together. But yeah, that's what Love is King's about. It's, it's about dismantling the fear, uh, opening up the welcome access and making it easy and making it you know, a, a, a nice process for people from all walks of life to be able to enjoy the outdoors. It's beautiful. It's, I mean, hey amen. I, I, one of the things that you and I connected on when we were talking the other day is, is just that is, is uh, such a deep respect for uh, Dr. King and his work. And, and that I, I had a foundation that I started about 20 years ago and we, we supported documentary photographers around the world that were documenting social issues. And the very first exhibition that we had at our space was the March from Selma to Montgomery mm. uh, as photographed by, by Dan Budnick. That's uh, what this book is, is here, actually. It, it, that work turned into a, uh, a book. And the, the reason why I wanted that to be the first exhibition at the foundation was, to your point, in 65, people of, of all races, <laughs> uh, Ethnic groups, uh, economic groups, et cetera, came together for that that sole purpose. You know that vision that that King had, and and they came together peacefully right. with love, despite all the redneck goofballs that were around them. And that march from Selma to Montgomery was so powerful that it instigated the president to come on to national TV and call for the Congress to pass the the Voting Rights Act and. You know, it's it's kind of that's what we need, right? It's like with with love is king and the work that you're doing. It's like we, as an outdoor community, we really need to come together and yeah. understand what it is that's going on. I I think 
you know, for so many people, myself included, I didn't really understand the, the depth of uh, the issue as it relates to the outdoors. And the more that we've heard, especially here in the last year and a half or two, the more that we, we've heard, the more it's like, it's kind of this major aha moment, I think, for many of us. You know, for, for Rome, certainly, and for the Rome community, to, I'm so glad that we've had a chance to get to know you a little bit, to, to understand your path to understand these decisions uh, that you've made that are so brilliant. And, and again, that seem to have emanated from the heart. And I, I, I'd love to know how can, how can we help? What, what are some of the things that, that you see that are kind of definitive for the Rome community of, of how we can help you and, and, and the BIPOC LGBTQ communities? Um, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for even having this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Love is King is, is all about action. It's all, we're an actionable type of organization, meaning that uh, we, we try not to do a lot of talking. We do more execution because that's where we're at right now. We need to do more execution. We, are, we, are, we know what the problem is. We are, we are aware of the problem. We are aware of many problems that are out there. Uh, and so there's no more room to have these more discussions. Now we need to start coming up with action plans of how we can address these many problems that are happening. A couple of the actions that Love is King does as far as the Rome community help is looking for different types of resources of leaders. Um, because one of the resources that we have in our um, initiative called Operation Rome. Operation Rome is, is gives the opportunity for LGBTQ and BIPOC. We recruit BIPOC LGBTQ uh, folks into an expedition. This expedition is centered around leadership, management, advocacy that's tied in in partnership with the conservation group. This is how we change the dialogue, the narrative in the conservation space, right? Instead of us talking about it, what we're going to do, we're going to train new leaders. We're going to train new leaders of BIPOC LGBTQ and bring them closer into a conservation space. How we do that is we do a collaboration with that conservation group and we identify uh, where they're falling short at on the work that they need to help support their campaigns. And we take that information and we put that into a curriculum, okay, and a leadership And we, like, again, going into Rome community, if there's other leaders out there that has backgrounds, education backgrounds of working around public lands, fresh water, et cetera, those are needed. And those are needed to come into the space because what we do with you guys or anybody else is that you guys come in as educated, treated. This is a quick one and a half, two week ramp up at expedition. There's grit involved. This is like taking a master's class. It's going to take a whole four years at Harvard, whatever. And we condense it down into a one and a half week to two week expedition. We get this team of six BIPOC LGBT ready to basically when they come out of this expedition, they're, they're coming out trained and ready to hit the ground running with that conservation group working on their campaigns basically, or that BIPOC that comes out, they become, they basically commit to like 60 hours for a year. They can, that's what they get. In exchange, the conservation group sponsors this uh, expedition, basically, okay? And so everything's sponsored for them. In exchange, there's a 60-hour commitment for a year. That 60 hours gives that conservation group an opportunity of an extension of a six-man team. This six-man team is coming in with different skills and this new way of doing things from and learning from different leaders, conservation space, et cetera, and bringing that into that conservation space and helping 
to build and further these campaign initiatives that help protect our public lands and fresh water. That is an initiative that helped change a narrative of you seeing so much Caucasian in a conservation space. And we wonder why we don't see a multitude of different races because some folks don't know how to get into those spaces. Look, you happen to be going to college, et cetera. But what we're doing is changing that narrative and open that up and give them opportunity to come in. And sometimes with this, with that 60 hour commitment, that will probably can easily turn into a career path, right? Yeah. You know, it can turn into a career because you're networking, et cetera. You're working now, you're working with the last Gordon's League or the Audubon Society and stuff like that, you know, but now we're changing that, you know, another initiative that we do at Love is King, we do what we call heritage events. Heritage events is Love is King lives in and out. We weave in and out on a calendar, holiday calendar, yearly schedule, and we highlight all the holidays, you know, from Black history, Native American, uh, LGBTQ, uh, you know, Earth Day, et cetera. And this is an opportunity to where we basically bring in our corporate, nonprofit, our individual partners, and we centralize the heritage event around an easy access entry into the outdoors. And what we do, we fill it with stories. A good example is like uh, Black History Month. And uh, let me, I'll just, now I'll just go back to the recent one that we had uh, Women's, uh, Women's Month, basically. And what we did was um, we brought in uh, a poetry artist, a spoken word artist, and she represented Maya Angelou. And then we found a trail as an, again, we're talking easy access, you know, mm -hmm. just something, not, nothing, you know, this is not an expedition now. This is, right. this is something really easy, inviting, you know, and, mm -hmm. we, and we invite the community. We invite the community and say, hey, come on a hike with us. So we're going to go on a hike. And then at the same time, we're going to tell a story about Maya Angelou. We're going to elevate her story and tell her story, right? And then along this hike, we're going to also stop periodically. And then this, this the, the lady here is actually going to do spoken word in nature, right? Cool. Spoken word in nature and everything. So what we're doing, we're taking this uh, easy access entry, turn it into a phenomenal experience. We're creating a safe space. This is this safe space is collected by, I mean, it's, it's done in a collective way, excuse me, in a collective way by partners, supporters, because we all want to make sure that everybody wants to have an opportunity to feel good in nature, right? Yeah. And find yeah. find those special moments. And that's so this is a collective effort, you know, so we're creating safe space and we're establishing that that safety, that easy access, et cetera. And, and, and so when they come back out of this you know, four hour hike or whatever like that, they have experience. And guess what? They're hooked. I'm like, oh, wow, that's just beautiful. I would love to go out and do it again. Yeah. Boom. That's what we want, right? Great. That's what we want, you know? And so we're doing little things, but our uh, heritage events are, you know, they're not over the top, but they're very simple and easy to be uh, developed. The big thing is what we do is we highlight mavericks of his history according to what we're celebrating and telling the stories. That way people have an opportunity to learn about Many people, Native American, Caucasian, uh, history, LGBT, LGBTQ, we, it's going to be an awesome heritage event that we're going to do. We are bringing out some people where a lot of people don't even know, uh, you know, Frida DeFerd or Dr. Jessica Link, all these folks, you know, the first uh, lesbian mountaineer, a lot of people don't know about her, you know, uh, but it's like, wow, you know, so you get an opportunity to go out and maybe, you know, uh, we can find someone uh, that's, that's, that's like an instructor, mountaineer expert. 
And then, of course, we treat as an entry point, right? Bring out the gear, but we what we're doing, we're celebrating and elevating the story of Frida the Fur and talking about her process and where she was inspired and where she started was on the foothills of some canyon or whatever, learning how to rope climb, whatever the case is, right? But we're tying all that into it and people can be able to track that and people can be able to learn. I say, wow, I did not know that. You know, so she, this is what, like, yeah. You know, so this is why I'm passionate about mountaineering. This is why I'm doing this, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And so we're weaving in that out, you know, so anyway, uh, Heritage Events is another one that we do as far as our, it's an actionable platform. Uh, we also do uh, get a little political because Love is King is living uh, within the um, the government area where we are talking with uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the national parks. What we're doing is, which that can be, that can definitely, it lends itself an opportunity for Rome community and beyond because I've been reaching out to many decision makers and leaders in different spaces of the outdoors mm-hmm. uh, because it's going to be a collective, again, this is a collective effort. But what I'm presenting to the city of Portland, because we're using Portland as a pilot, is uh, we're creating what we call like a Love is King orange metal placard. Okay. And on this orange metal placard will hold basically um, all the founding partners and organizations, and, but also it'll have, um, you know, police department, fire department, medical department, ex- ex- all the information on there with the QR code that can connect to your smartphone and it gives people on the trail an opportunity to be able to uh, report, uh, you know, and, 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 and also rate the trail, et cetera. It opens up a community, but we're, what we're doing, we're creating a safety net. This orange placard, is it gets mounted at every trailhead, basically. And, and what this orange tra- placard is doing is a case study number one, is which is already tried and true. If you look at every blue light, uh, blue light on every college campus, everybody right. know what that means. Right. That, that right. if you're in trouble, if you need help or whatever, you can go yeah. to that blue light on every college campus. This orange Love is King placard is the blue light in the outdoors. And cool. so what we're doing is, is we're actually putting this orange placard in every area. That's it's like a sanctuary. This is a yeah. sanctuary. There's zero, zero tolerance, zero ignorance, no bigotry, racism, none, period. This is where we 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 want you to have uh, an awesome opportunity to connect to the outdoors. You know, uh, this is a safe space, basically. This takes action. This takes support. This takes leadership. And this takes top level leadership in order to make these kind of things happen. And so uh, on the behind the scenes, there's red tape that we had to go through. You know, I, I found it Love is King, but Love is King is bigger than me, it's bigger than you. This is a human type of movement of what I'm talking about. This is a responsibility. And anybody that's in that leadership uh, leadership position that has managed folks or managed troops, et cetera, understands the importance of, of, of safety, understands the importance that everybody deserves it right. This is how we look after for one another, basically, right? We step up and we show up and we show our love for one another. So now I'm leaning into a lot of leadership, including board members, including partners and beyond to try to help me navigate to start establishing these kind of safe sanctuaries across the entire United States on wildlife Mm -hmm. refuge land, BLM land, national parks, et cetera. You know, because people need to have that. That's a safety net for a lot of people, especially for newbies especially yeah. for newbies. If we want to yeah. see more people, there's a reason why when you look at that percentage 
of the national parks and it's less than 5% of BIPOC LGBTQ coming into national parks. That's a serious thing to look at, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, and he's like, wow, why is that? It's if the access is one, but there's something else going on. There's yeah. something else going on. And, and, and that's also where we also need to come together as leaders and try to figure out, but part of that figuring out is also listening. It's also learning how to listen to people's stories because in people's stories, we they're, they're giving us a map. They're giving us a map of what we can do. Uh, so that's another <laughs> another problem to go out there and try to solve. But we, but if we want, if we're talking about bringing everyone together, right? Creating safe space, creating a place where people can enjoy and and, and create beautiful memories. And we talk about that everybody didn't. Though these are things that we need to start thinking of and being more actionable and also active listeners as leaders and uh, in, in, in how we can help elevate and also, you know, support initiatives, because right now it's about action. Wow, what a wonderful conversation and such an incredibly inspiring human. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, as you think back over the last hour or so, Conrad, what are what are some of the things that, that you think you'll take away? It's been wonderful to share the screen with Chad and communicate with everyone here. And that uh, the fundamental thing is that if we all go towards that same goals to, to keep your eye on the prize, as Chad mentioned. We have different tools to get there, whether it's fly fishing or skateboarding or skiing or bowling or mountain climbing or botany, whatever. We, we find happiness in what we do and that happiness brings community and that community fosters communication between people. So it's, um, it's been a great conversation and I've got things I can do. I've got to uh, get involved with Love is King. I've got to step up and I've got to show up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us once again for an episode of Rome from Home. Rome from Home is brought to you by Rome Academy. That is our education platform at romemedia.com. We just launched the latest Achieving Your Dreams class with Mike Horn. It's an awesome one. We've got Gravel Biking also just dropped. It's a great place to go and learn about the outdoors. Uh, we encourage you to go, and it's, it's how we get to do what we want to do here. And, of course, this season is also brought to us by Adventure Activists, my co-host Terry O'Connor's organization that is bringing awareness to the UN's Sustainable Development Goals, and that is what we're all about on this podcast, Adventure with Purpose. And uh, you can go to roammedia.com forward slash give always to catch up with some of the organizations that we we cover here on the podcast and move to action. That's the place we can do that, that landing page, roamemedia.com forward slash give. And with that, Terry, take us home. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to spend some time with Andy and Chad and catch up with Comrade again today. Again, I want to thank Chad for doing great work in service of the UN SDG Goal 10, uh, Reducing Inequalities. Uh, that's what we're about at The Adventure Activist. You can find out more about our mission and our cause at theadventureactivist.org. And uh, me, just for a personal reflection on this, I just was so inspired by Chad's story. I was so inspired uh, by how he's really taken that as a, a way to grow and really has kind of enhanced this psychological phenomenon where his life is deepened 
And he clearly has found that depth in the river. And I think we found out how he, and if you follow him further, how he can break down stereotypes, enhance safety for the BIPOC community outdoors and amplify advocacy within this diverse community. So I'm so happy with what he's up to. And as we finally close, I would be remiss to not thank Everybody behind this, our advisory board at theadventureactivist.org for their insight and editorials produced by Healy Cruz. And our mastermind behind the scenes, our audio guru, Evan Phillips at Podpeak. Thanks so much for spending an hour of your time with us, everybody. We'll catch you in the next episode.